often faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Hey everyone, welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera. Before we get started today, just want to acknowledge the tragedy that happened in Texas with the school shooting and just want to stand in solidarity with all of the people who were affected by it. I don't know about you, but when I heard about it last week, I I heard about it a little bit later in the day when I was looking through the news before I was actually getting ready to to head to bed. And um, yeah, I just had <laughs> tear stains on my pillow. I'll just say that much because it's just so horrible and, and so unthinkable and obviously shows that there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot more goodness that's needed in this world. I speak for an organization that was started by the father of a victim of a school shooting a couple decades ago. And so this, this hits super close to home because I'm friends with, with a family that has gone through this. And so I know how deep and how dark this can be. And I can't even imagine. I can't eat. Hmm. So just stand with me, pray with me and just, Let's just believe for better for our world and let's continue to ask ourselves the questions. You know, what, what part can we play? What's, what's the thing that we can do to try to make a difference? And, um, and let's trust that if we work individually and also work together, that maybe there's hope for a better future and a better tomorrow. Today I have an interview with Kevin Sweeney and Kevin is this wonderful human and he just, if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, today his book is coming out and it's called The Making of a Mystic and get this tagline, <laughs> my journey with mushrooms, my life as a pastor and why it's okay for everyone to relax. I'm pretty sure just because of the title of this book, we all have to read it. I had a chance to get my hands on it before he released it. It's a wonderful read. I think a really important book. We've heard about mystics before, and maybe when you hear that term, you think about kind of the ancient mystics, Celtic fathers and mothers, different things like that. But this book is much more about how we can apply that to our lives today and maybe even pose the question of, should we apply that to our lives today? And so we've never talked about this topic on the podcast, so I really hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation with Kevin Sweeney. Well, Kevin, great to be with you today. Most of the listeners of this podcast aren't going to know who you are, and I don't want to try. So why don't you just tell us, in your own words, who is Kevin Sweeney, and then we'll get into the real good stuff. Just well, a small question, you know, the, just that's the whole podcast right there. <laughs> like, well, my first memory was when I was three and I think I was Perfect. lost in like a pick and safe oh, or whatever. That's, a story. <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if I was lost. I just have this flash memory of like being alone and being like, oh, okay. Like, wherever. Yeah. You probably felt like, hey, this is all right. Maybe we should. I did. This that that yeah. mystical wiring was, you know, starting at three. I was, I was lost, but I was okay with being lost at that point already. <laughs> I was like, where's grandma? I don't know. I'm fine. Doesn't matter. Let's see. I mean, if I had, I'm sure if, you know, you read my bio, you know, it would say something about, you know, perhaps degrees I've gotten or starting a church here. And I'm in a neighborhood called Kaka'ako, which is like the unofficial arts district in Honolulu, Hawaii. So start my wife and I started a church here almost 10 years ago called Imagine. Been leading that. And, you know, now why I'm doing so many podcasts right now is because I have a book coming out May 31st called The Making of a Mystic. And the subtitle is My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. I like it. I like it. That's super good. Now, for all of us kind of in, I don't even know what to call this space anymore. So we'll just call it this space that we're in. The, <laughs> you know, that the conversations about being a mystic or conversations about kind of you know, historical mystics and things like that. Mm. It's, it's just something I think a lot of us like to talk about. Mm. But I think the reason I was excited to pick up and read this book is because I don't know that I've ever run across anybody who's attempted to put some sort of modern definition to that. You know, I think we can find some maybe some historical definitions, but to kind of try to encapsulate what all of us, what so many of us are going through and trying to uh, have some sort of understanding of what this grand adventure is that we all, many of us feel like we're on, you know, I, I appreciate your, <laughs> your guts to just like go for it. So what was the, uh, what was the motivation behind writing this book? I see mystics as different docks into the same river. You know, so you might encounter a few mystics and those are the two or three for you and they help guide you into the river. And the point isn't their teaching, the point is the river. And regardless of which ones help lead you into the raft or lead you into the water, they're all leading you to the same thing. But I think they're over-romanticized because what we get from mystics later in history is poetry, great one-liners, the quotes, you know, all those great things, roomy quotes, right? I mean, right. they're brilliant. They're amazing. They're so powerful. You know, I have a, one of the quotes on our wall here is a roomy quote in our apartment, in our building. And it's, it's, it's a roomy says, you know, you dance inside my chest where no one sees you, right? It's this beautiful thing about his intimate union or identity with the divine. And, and I love that. And it is beautiful. But I think mystics are over-romanticized because people also don't understand that the journey of the mystic is defined by death so that's why i tell people the 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 peace the mystic has in public is born out of the tears they've shed in private you know all of the weeping over what the world is all of the radical forms of acceptance most people can't have imagined all of the gut-wrenching letting go that's always led to resurrection you know the mystic is the one who voluntarily chooses to die so someone like a Richard Rohr would say, you know, transformation happens through great love and great suffering, mm. right? Because they both short circuit your ego management systems. You know, love renders you so out of control that you're so vulnerable and suffering sort of short circuits your egoic operating system is like the world doesn't work like that. All, all the energy you spent maintaining control was actually just your ego maintaining the illusion of control. And that's very unsettling. 
And that's what love and suffering does to us. And the mystic is the one who voluntarily takes that inward journey and sees those places, even when it's working for you in life and says, oh, that's not real. Oh, those are boundaries. Let me transcend them. Let me, let me move beyond. So one, I just, I throw that out there because it's, it's romantic, but I'm also like, you don't know, you know, that grappling with reality that has led to such a radical form of acceptance of what this all is, you know, that's a whole, that's the real unfolding. That's the real path of the mystic and why they can be who they are. And they have the freedom they have and the poetry they have, which we all love. And I love too, but you know, the mystic is the one who can live with no resistance. The mystic can live with pure acceptance of what is, You know, the mystic doesn't have to hold on to anything, including our beliefs, which is, you know, we can talk about that further, but the mystic doesn't have to hold on to anything because they experientially know they are being held by everything. And on on a really practical level, I think when, when we talk about listeners and people coming in, that movement to the mystical is just, is the movement from religion as a system of belief or beliefs I have to transformational experience and direct knowing for myself. So it's the difference between, you know, believing and becoming, it's the difference between holding on and being held. So I think that's a practical thing is the mystic is not arguing over the details of the menu. They are the one enjoying the meal being like, that's not the point. Yeah, I think the <laughs> the reason I think we we struggle with this so much speaking directly into kind of our western you know west western society but also western christianity is there's so much desire for control. You know, there's mm. so much desire for control in our culture. And so as much as we, you know, as much as people love the the roomy quotes or or you know talking about, you know, Father Richard Rohr or whatever, mm. there's a piece of that that we love to put that on our 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 Instagram feed, but we the idea of actually living out any of that kind of life is so mortifying to so many people because of lack of control, which is also why you know, there's such a struggle within kind of our Western Christianity as well is because so many people are realizing, Hey, that control is actually coming against the very thing that we're trying to do. Mm. But then to let go of that control makes it feel like the entire thing is crumbling down. And I think so many are so moved by mysticism, so drawn toward it, but that fear of letting go is a real thing. Now, I, I feel like probably when you introduced the book at the beginning of this podcast interview, there were some, some ears that went up because up to the point when I read your book, I think the, mo- the craziest story probably I ever heard around somebody coming to some sort of faith journey was an old friend of mine who was a drug addict and he, his drug dealer actually taught him about Jesus. And that's how he became interested nice. in faith. And then I read your book. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like you, you definitely, it might be one in one a now with your experience nice. with mushrooms. So I don't want you to give it all away because I want people to be able to kind of marinate in the story as they read it in the book. Cause you really get like a, a, a bit of the fullness of it. If you actually read about it, but maybe at least address it a little bit and, and share with people that what they think you said is actually what you said. And, and you're pretty comfortable with that. So, you know, the subtitle of the book, right, is my journey with mushrooms, my life as a pastor and why it's okay for everyone to relax, which is to me funny and clever and hopefully intriguing for people, but it actually 
is accurate for my journey. It's not a hook what, line. It's like the actual. No, I mean, it's it, the it's, meat it's of the both. story. Yeah, yeah, I it suppose. is. I'm like, I yeah, suppose. I think it's clever. Like, it is clever, but it's not only clever for the sake of being clever. It's like this is my unique, clever way to say. But this is this is what the book is, and this is my story as well. You know, nothing in the book about mushrooms is you know prescriptive. You know, it's just me telling my own story. I'm very ambivalent about the current, you know, re- not awakening, but reawakening or rediscovery or reemergence of psychedelic research and how important it is and how people, what, how they view it right now. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I am I'm ambivalent towards that. And I have diff- very different thoughts on that, but I have a chapter in the book called mushrooms and missionaries. I, I start off with a story about Thomas Merton. So for the listeners, you know, Merton, one of the great mm-hmm. mystics of the 20th century, one of the great Catholics of the 20th century, from my perspective, really reintroduced contemplation to Western Christianity, as audacious as that seems. You know, like he is a, established a, tra- a reestablished a trajectory that many people are continuing right now. And I believe I could see myself as a part of that lineage too. And so when Merton was young and he's sort of getting closer to his awakening experience, there was a, a, a famous Hindu monk, Mahanambrata Brahmachari, who was visiting the U.S., like lecturing, going to probably divinity schools or something. And Merton, you know, it's like going to some, a pastor after, it's like, I got to talk to him, you know, how do fight through? Wait, he's talking to that person. Wait, wait, now's my chance to like, move in. <laughs> and uh, he goes to talk to him and he asks you know, this Hindu monk, this priest, this brilliant guy for guidance. And the, uh, the unique thing about that was the, the Hindu monk didn't tell Merton to go to his sacred texts or his tradition. He told Merton to read Augustine's Confessions and Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ, which let's say Merton reads those, they're integrated into his journey. Merton now become has this amazing profound awakening evolving experience he's this amazing person now well i don't think it was in that hindu monk's job description to be a missionary for jesus you know i just don't think that it's what he signed up for directly the word missionary is entangled with colonialism white supremacy expansionism empire building like many of us have been disentangling that for decades years right and then that's a conversation that needs to continue to happen not just in a theoretical sense but in our practices in our institutions i'm with all that i've had many great guides you know who have taught me about that over the years etc so i'm with that but so if we just acknowledge that well, a missionary at its best is someone who's pointing another person further towards Christ. That's a good thing, right? Your point, you're the fingers pointing to the moon in that moment. And in the same way that Hindu monk was a missionary pointing Merton towards the fullness of Christ, mushrooms were a missionary pointing me towards the fullness of life in Christ as well. Because when I started eating mushrooms at 16, One, I didn't start off as like, I am already on a conscious spiritual quest for truth, and these are going to be my guides. No, I was 16. I had been getting high since I was a little kid and drinking heavily and partying, and now we're starting to dabble in our drugs. I'm like, no, we do drugs, and that's what we do. (laughs) 
And so we're like, let's trip out. And so, but very early on, it started to become more for me. You know, I think my friends know judgment on them, but they're just tripping out, you know, just having a good time. And I was too, but I, a phrase I look back and I sensed in the mushrooms, they kept saying yes, but keep going. Like you get a glimpse of the goal, but it's just a glimpse. You've seen something real, but the real, the source is beyond this. And I am point like the truth was beyond the mushrooms, but they were pointing me beyond them saying like they were a signpost pointing me to a future I couldn't yet see. It's like the freedom I desired. They were pointing me to a freedom I desired, but wasn't sure existed yet. It was like this truth I was hoping for, but knew wasn't guaranteed. And they would bless me with just enough of a taste of the possibilities of freedom and joy and peace to keep going towards what I was hoping was an entirely different future. And they, they really did become that more and more for me until there's another chapter in the book called more mushrooms in the most important moment of my life on a couple of days after new year's Eve when I was 18. So this is like Christmas break of senior year of high school, right? I just ate mushrooms on New Year's Eve and I had this magical experience, you know, reconnected with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, you know? And so I was like, things were happening. And I was like, man, like I want to do mushrooms again. I just had the plug at the time and I could get them. And that night was the first time I had a very dark and very scary experience on them where I mean, mushrooms are like four to six hours. And I'm like, four, and usually you don't peak to like an hour and a half. I'm 45 minutes in. And I was like, I'm, I think I'm going to die. And I told my friend, I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. I need to ha- be strapped down to a bed. I need to be, have like a straight jacket on me. I don't care if I get arrested. I don't care if my parents find out, like I am not well right now. <laughs> and that, but I tell that whole story in the book, but that night I have this spontaneous awakening moment, direct, immediate experience of spirit and of God. And, and it was like for hours I was laying down and it was almost like I could feel light and love and life being fused into me and changing me. It was like, I could almost feel myself being born again to use language in a, from our own tradition, you know? And that's why when we talk about the, the mystic, when we talk about the mystic is not primarily about what we believe, but the actual transformation of the believer themselves. It's not a, what do I know? It's I am known. It's not, what do I see? It's I am seen them for the mystic. Those are the primary experiences, disassembling, taking apart who I thought I was and putting me back together as something totally different. And for me, from the inception of my faith, it was a universal yes and affirmation of my entire being. It was love and grace from the beginning. And I had never heard of even anything evangelical culture once as a teenager. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know there was Christian music. I didn't know there was churches like that. I had never come across it. I had no antagonism towards it. I was indifferent because I was unaware. So without pastors, altar calls, here, go read this book. It was an, uh, just this wide open, spacious field. And it just became union with God. And I was like, well, I guess this changes everything for me. It's not so much that I'm what I'm, I'm thinking different thoughts about reality. Although I am, I said, it's that the very I 
that is doing the thinking has been transformed. That is a rewiring of consciousness. And in that moment with my limited religious language, I was like, that was a rebirth. That's what that was. This is a new, there is a new self that is here. And my life has always been a response to that moment. So, when, And fascinating that that moment, as you describe it, as you just described it, there's so much mysticism that breathes out of it. You know, it's almost like the foundation of your faith journey was birthed in mysticism. The foundation is direct experience. The mm-hmm. beliefs came. I didn't, there was no doctrine. <laughs> no, not no doctrine. I was not an Orthodox Christian at the time. <laughs> I wasn't, I couldn't have ticked those boxes. I don't think. And, and also I remember later on, cause I eventually ended up at a Bible college, you know, and I, cause I got my undergrad in biblical studies and went to seminary. But for me, it was, well, that experience happened before I ever heard any atonement right. theory. Yeah. So you're telling me the atonement takes me from here to there, and I never heard of the atonement, and I've already been, I'm there. You can have that experience without the beliefs, and you can have the right beliefs without that experience. What are we, that's, what are we really talking about? What really matters? One of the things that I'm, I'll be fascinated to see how it kind of moves forward in our in our modern times here it, it, based on where we are with this kind of faith journey and and your book kind of fits into it a little bit because there's this danger that um people just be looking for the next thing right the next the next whatever the next uh, you know mega church model or the next mm. new buzz phrase or the next new thing that we're supposed to aspire to and there's a little bit of a danger because this idea of of being a mystic is something that's that a lot of people are interested in there's a fear that people are going to approach this as if, okay, this is the next thing that I have to do for my spiritual journey. And even in saying that, that this is the thing I have to do kind of goes against what being a mystic even stands for. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about, you know, what, what kind of perspective you must've had when you were writing this book, because there's a little bit of it that you want, you want to, you want people to understand what it is that we're talking about. When we talk about a mystic, you want to understand that in the context of story, which is beautiful. But then how do we do this in a way that it doesn't just become this thing that people are trying to aspire to, or this next mm-hmm. thing that people are trying to do for their next spiritual high or whatever? You know, I think besides naming what you just said explicitly to give people a reality check on the next parts of their journey like what you just said you know the ego can attach itself the ego detaches disidentifies with one thing and until it's decentered more and more it always grasps for something else to hold on to and i think that's what you see a lot right now you know spiritually in the kind of people we know and what we see culturally is pendulum swings super far i wasn't that now i'm this mm-hmm. immediately i'm already that it's like well, that's also just your ego attaching itself to this progressive form of this, you know, or whatever it is for, for a sense of, you know, security. Or that's why our ego does that. Or something, yeah. S- security, belonging, like that's why, like, you know, religion often is just belief or belonging systems, you know, mm-hmm. which is not bad in and of themselves. They're just limited towards the second half of life, towards a life beyond the self. Mm-hmm. after that so they're not bad they're just limited in how far they can take you and you know besides naming that and giving people that i'm just the type who's like i just do what i do and say what i say and i know the inevitability of how people are how we are and you know how the ego works of like yeah that stuff's gonna happen it's like well you're the, like 
you're the mist, you're a mystic now, or you're this, you're a progressive Christian, you're this or that. When I'm like, none of those things are the point. Yeah. You know, if, if if using the term mystic is helpful and it, it does help categorize or make sense of my own experience, and I think the tradition I'm a part of, that it, and I'll use it, and that's great, but I just the point is the experience when jesus says you know the greatest commandment is to love god and love your neighbor the point is to be deeply deeply loved and transformed and set free yourself and then organically to continue to become the kind of person who's who fights for the freedom and liberation of others in every sense of that term socially politically economically whatever it is so that's the point is the life is to enjoy it's like for me it's all like i have the audacity to believe this whole thing is about joy so why does Kevin talk about death so much? Well, it's because of how much I believe in life. Why do I talk about letting go? Because it's it is the path to joy and peace. You know, it's it's we don't our ego doesn't want that at all. It doesn't want that to be the path, but it is. The point is that depth and wonder and 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 deep experience of life in Christ. Not your beliefs about Jesus, a life in Christ, and to to ex- extrapolate a Christ-like way of being in the world through that. The big movement for me is a movement from a belief-based Christianity to an experience-based Christianity, which is good because you're moving from the the form to the flow. You're moving from the structure to the substance, and that's actually what this is, from labels to an actual being known of love. That part is good, and I'm here for it, and I will help guide people towards that forever. Yeah. What's your hope? Uh, last question. What's your hope for... No, I thought we're doing book. two hours. I three, thought we're making <laughs> three. Yeah, we just got to roll you right into lunch. What's your hope for somebody that's going to pick up this book? I think people are going to be intrigued by it, whether it's by the tagline or just the idea of it being a book about being a mystic. Um, but as the author, what would your, you know, what would your hope be for for some random human that picks up this book? That through the the story of my life, their eyes would be more enlightened to the cosmic story that is unfolding through all of life, including their own. And that they'll see that peace is a possibility and more freedom is a possibility and more joy is a possibility and more courage and creativity are possibilities for them. And there's ways to get there. The spirit is always inviting us And yet nothing happens without our consent, our courage, our own risks, right? That's the co-creative nature of life in the spirit. God is not doing anything for us. The spirit is that loving beckoning that invites us forward, promises to hold us together and says, but you can choose to stay where you are or you can choose to come. And if you come, your greatest fears are that you'll you'll fail or that you'll be humiliated or won't work. And even those are the very places where you will start to experience more of the transformation and joy that you even desire. So it's it's kind of a win-win. When it works out well, it's great. And when it doesn't, if you if you allow the spirit to hold you get together there, you're more free. So it's the mysticism of every day. You know, it's the ability to be present right here. It's it's the it's the need to not grasp for the next thing to be present to this thing while mysteriously still working towards the next thing. You know, it doesn't mean you lose that holy ambition to build and create. It just means your ego is no longer in the driver's seat, forcing you to do it in a way that kills you and makes you unhealthy and makes you unhappy. So that's always my thing is like, I just always have this deep sense that there's more, you know, more life for everybody. And 
think the spirit's always inviting and we have more power and agency than we realize to open ourselves up to that flow that we desire. So it's all like every story, every chapter can be a different little open door to the possibility of those futures. Special thanks to Kevin Sweeney. Again, that book comes out today if you're listening to this episode when it drops. If you're not, if you're listening to it later, then it's already out. There will be links in the show notes of where you can get that. Of course, there's going to be links to Kevin's social media and how you can stay connected with him. So make sure you reach out and support these wonderful voices in our world right now by reading what they're putting out, by listening what they're putting out, and by staying connected with them. So a special thanks to Kevin for joining this wonderful interview and this podcast. You're actually going to hear more from Kevin. We're going to have him on a little bit later this year to talk about another project that he's working on. Of course, you can stay connected with me on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Matt Kinzera. On Facebook, you can find Chasing Goodness as well. And you can subscribe to this podcast, give it a five-star rating, write a review. But most importantly, as always, let's keep chasing goodness together. <laughs>